This writer in Russia, his name was Andrei Krylov. He uh, wrote for the newspaper a lot, and he uh, was known for writing short stories that were insightful for his time about politics, you name it. He had a story to share. And one of his stories has made its way into mainstream. I bet we, most of us probably have never read the writings of Andre Krylov, but he wrote this story called The Inquisitive Man. It goes like this. There's these two men that are walking down the street, and one walks upon the other, and he says, where have you been? I've been looking for you. He said, oh, I've spent the day at the museum. I've been looking at all the amazing things there. It's a study of anatomy of animals and you wouldn't believe all the things I've seen. I've seen birds from all over the world. I've seen cockroaches that crawl along the ground that look like art. I've seen butterflies of so many shapes and sizes and I've seen beetles that look like emeralds. The man goes, oh, I know what you're talking about. Did you happen to see the elephant? It's as big as a mountain. The man said, no, I, I just told you, I saw you know, butterflies and beetles and cockroaches. And he goes, but you avoided the elephant in the room. That's where we get that term. Andre Krylov talked about the elephant in the room. And today I want to start with the elephant in the room. Over the last few weeks, I've had strategic conversations with many of y'all. We talked through the vision of the church uh, we've talked through where you fit and some questions you had and some thoughts you've had about the previous movements in the church. And I wanted you to know that I've heard you. Um, I want to go back for just a second, if you'll permit me, before we go to the text, before we get into the time of sermon, to talk about Quell Creek and about where we've been and why we've gone there and where we're going from here. Um, number one, um, I had a chance to visit with many of y'all about how we're reaching out into the community and what we've done in the past. And uh, so many of you have shared your heartbeat back about how, how we've done a few things that made you uncomfortable. And for that, we want to say on behalf of our staff, we, we're sorry. We, we love you guys. We, we want to reach our community. And the last thing we would ever want to do is put you in a situation that makes you uncomfortable. The next is uh, I had probably number one question I've had is, is that of Santa Claus, having him on our campus. Um, strategically, from behind the scenes, we planned ahead and we knew where we were going. So many of you have said how it, it left an unpleasant taste in your mouth. And again, on behalf of us on staff, we're sorry. Um, what we wanted to see was our community come to church. Uh, we canvassed our community and they did. They came that Sunday, people from my neighborhood, maybe from your neighborhood, and they came to church that Sunday and they heard the gospel. They're not here this Sunday. Um, they're, they're just not. I, I have it inside of my heart to do everything I can to bring people here, to present them with the gospel. But I want you to know from my heart to yours, I will not put you in that spot again. Uh, the seat I sit in as the senior pastor is a difficult one. Because it challenges me to push my staff to be creative and to do things that are not easy. And to take the bullets for those decisions. 
Um, so to my staff in this room, my staff that are listening down the hall doing ministry, thank y'all for taking the bullets for me. Uh, I've prayed for y'all this weekend. Y'all have to forgive me a second. Um, I'm thankful for y'all. I'm thankful that in your creativity, the times I've said yes that I should have said no have put y'all at odds with the people in this room. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry because I should do better for y'all. And so that's the elephant in the room. Um, As a pastor, I'm always reminded that I've got to coach y'all to reach your friends. And although those opportunities that we've done and taken have brought people here, I'm going to do a better job in this next year of coaching you forward. And so we're not going to do the things that we have been doing for a season. We're not going to try and let our creativity go wild and reach people the way we have. Instead, I want to coach you and train you and teach you how to reach your friends for Christ. And then I want to give you a challenge. I want to start by saying this. This next week, our students at San Jacinto Christian Academy will be in our building. They're coming here for Spiritual Emphasis Week. And all week long, they will be challenged on how to not only create a faith that's their own, but how to reach people. They'll be in our building, and each day they'll get to hear from some amazing friends of our church as they do so. People like Dylan Chase that y'all have got to hear from that our students love. Guys like Ken Freeman that will be here in our pulpit next Sunday. An evangelist. I talked to Ken Freeman on the phone this past week. And I told him that I want him to have two challenges. Number one, I want him to preach his guts out evangelically. Because he has that gift and I'm so thankful for him being here. Number two is if at the end of that no one walks the aisle, I want him to do the next. I want him to challenge us to care about people deeply. I told him that's what we're going to train and teach. We're going to train our church to love lost people. To go beyond just talking about it, but to do it. To really have a deep desire to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people outside of our walls. And, and he said, you know, Kyle, they're not going to hurt me, are they? <laughs> you know, anytime an evangelist comes in and he, you know, he, he kind of has that kind of challenge. I said, Ken, you're here one week. I promise you that I'll preach that same way the next week and the next week and the next week. I want y'all to hear from my heart before we go to the text that I want the absolute best for Quail Creek. I pray every week that God would move in our services. I pray diligently over our sermons. I can promise you that our team, Grant and his team, prayerfully do what they do up here each week for us. They don't just throw songs on a screen and hope it works. With that in mind, I want to tell you this. We will do better. We will give more than we've ever given, and we will strain to become the kind of staff the church would like us to be. It's not easy. We know that there's a day ahead of us, a church that could be us, that reaches to lost people differently. And I want you to know something. We still believe that. But we also believe that has to come through the way that our church will pallet it. And so I want to tell you, on behalf of me, leaving my staff out of it, I will do better. I'll do better as your pastor to create an environment here that you want to come worship at. 
that you want to invite people to. And hopefully we'll train you in this year to share your faith and not just come to church. I want you to know I love you. And this, this is not an easy undertaking for us, but it is one that we believe God has entrusted to us. So on behalf of me, that's the elephant in the room for me today. And if you'll forgive me, I promise you I'll do better moving forward. God of salvation, you chased down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On a hill you created the light of the world, abandoned in darkness to die. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've done. Every part designed in a work of art called love. If you gladly choose surrender, so will I. I can see your heart a billion different ways. Every precious one, a child you died to save. If you gave your life to love them, so will I. Like you would again a hundred billion times. But what measure could amount to your desire? You're the one that never leaves the one behind. God, we believe that's your heart. God, we believe that you would, according to Scripture, leave none behind. God, help us to abandon our ways and our thoughts. And Lord, help us to go after yours. Lord, help me to do that. Lord, I don't want pride or arrogance or even direction or vision to get in the way of what you want to do. So God, remind us, Lord, that if you would leave a path for us in Jesus, if you would die, if you would give, if you would sacrifice, if you would show up when no one else would, so will I. So God, help us to have that kind of heart. God, help us to have that kind of passion. God, lead us to be people who abandon us for the sake of you. Lord, and in doing so, abandon us for the sake of others. Lord God, may we have a heart that would say that we would die a million deaths for the sake of one to have life. Lord, help us to be a church that reaches out to everyone we can with the very nature of Jesus. Lord, that's our prayer. In your name we pray. Amen. When we sat down to talk vision, we, uh, we have this thought, and I think it's a prevalent thought, and I think it's scriptural that we would see God do things that are mesmerizing and challenging and leading and breaking. 
that we would create something that would look more like what Jesus called a church to be than what churches are currently. That as a church at Quell Creek, we have seen God do some amazing things. And I believe that God is not even remotely done. And so to do that, we've got to create something of ourselves. Together, we can do great things in Christ. And so we started with this vision that the church at Quell Creek would exist to create something, a community for you. And we talked last week that this being a community for you is not a community just for us. It doesn't have to look like us or act like us. We want it to look and act like Jesus does. And so to do that, we wanted to create a community that if anybody would, they would be one towards the heart of Jesus. So creating a community for you is an opportunity for us to look beyond ourselves and to look to people that are outside these walls and say, there's a community for you. There's a community for you. It doesn't matter what you look like or act like and talk like. There's a community for you. Come with me. And here's what's going to happen when you walk in the doors. We're going to create a community of connection, a place that when you walk in the doors of the church, you go, wow, I can know Jesus and I can walk with him. What's more is I can know his word and I can understand it and apply it. What's more is I have a group of people around me that will challenge me and lead me towards his heart. We don't want you just to come to Quell Creek and exist. We want you to come to Quell Creek and grow. We're trying to create a community of growth. We believe that when you show up, you should not act the same five years from now. You should look more like Jesus does in that amount of time. And somewhere along the way, we hope that all those connections are doing that because we believe this. We can make you act like us and talk like us, but us doesn't save you. Jesus does. So we want to point you in his direction because we want you to grow. We believe that if you aren't growing in your faith, two things have happened. One is you're not connected to Jesus because where Jesus is, growth takes place. The next is you don't understand him because you can know the saving power of Jesus. You can have all of it memorized. Scripture says even the demons have that put together. But what's more is there's no application in your life. You've never taken the steps that follow after Jesus. So growth takes place where amazing land uh, uh, land has approached with a seed, sun, water, and everything it takes to see it grow. We believe that when you're planted somewhere where there's true connections, you will grow. And what happens next is this. When you plant a tree that bears fruit, that's growth. That's what Scripture says. If you're in Christ, you will bear fruit. Coincidentally, if you're not in Christ, you also bear fruit. It's just fruit of things like sin. But in Christ, we start to produce fruit that makes a difference. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. We begin to live in Him. We start to bear what He does. And so when we start to see that growth take place, here's what happens next. You'll want to feed the world the fruit you produce. You'll want to change the world. We become a community of change. We don't just stop with connection because we believe that's the centerpiece and we believe that's always at the heartbeat. The next is you start to grow out from that. You don't grow away from it. You grow in it. And as you grow in it, you start to affect everything around you. You ever seen what happens when people plant a tree next to uh, their driveway at their house? What happens? Breaks it up, doesn't it? 
You think a little tree, a little root, and it can be a small root. It can be a tiny little root. But as it goes underneath that concrete, it breaks it up. It just snaps. It's open. Here's what happens. As you grow, you will break up the world. Now, as you grow in Christ, if you're connected to him, you will break up the world it should be broken up by. But if you're in the way of the flesh, if you're in the way of broken fruit, if you're in the way of sin, you'll break it up and you'll show yourself. We want to show who Jesus is. We want to break up the world and let them point unto him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse, uh, we're going to start in verse number 17 today. It says, he came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you when you were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we have both had made access into one spirit to the Father. Now, this is talking about a people who felt distant from God, and the name of Jesus has brought them all in through the same path, through the life of Jesus. For through him, we both have access to one spirit. Verse 19, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. God puts you in a place. That is unreal, y'all. In Christ, you are brought forward. You don't need the church to claim you as a saint. You don't need to do that. You know why? God's the only one that claims those who are saints. And in Jesus, that's who you are. That's who you are. You're being built, verse 20, on a foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole being is being put together and it grows into the holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. I love this passage for numerous reasons, but let's just go right through the text. The first thing is we must acknowledge that Jesus' rightful place in our lives and his church. To capture how we move through this vision and mission statement, Jesus has got to be the centerpiece and the cog piece. I want you to hear that. A cog moves everything. Without Jesus being that, when you take him out, this cannot work. You cannot build a community that is a connection, growth, and change without Jesus to be the centerpiece. He is either it or we are. And if we're in that place, we're going to lead a lot of people away from what Jesus called us to do. But when he takes his rightful place, when Jesus is at the forefront, the cornerstone, holding everything together, you capture what a cornerstone does. It's not just a, a piece. Without it, everything crumbles. And how is it that we in faith, and this is a me personal statement, lives my faith in such a way that determines that I can be knowledgeable enough or smart enough or have enough studies under my belt that I've got to put enough together that I could be enough Jesus for myself. No, we have to have Jesus as the cornerstone cog piece of our faith. When we go out to a lost world and we tell them about Jesus Christ, we need to encourage them that without Jesus, none of this works. There is no peace without Jesus. There is no love without Jesus. All of these are just but a fleeting thought without the name of Jesus. If he's not the cornerstone, if he's not the pivotal piece to everything that happens, there is nothing by which we need to do. Without Jesus, there is no reason to come to church. Without him, there is no reason. It's just ceremonies. 
But with Jesus, it is powerful. It changes us. There is true power found in the name of Jesus. He changes things. He makes us come alive. And we need him. And to move down this path of creating this kind of community, we have to put Jesus in his rightful place, and that's first. First. Jesus is not in a competition. In fact, here's the thing. He won't compete because he'll win regardless of competition. He doesn't have to place anything. He doesn't have to run a race for you. He is first. I can promise you this. Everything on planet earth will point you back to him. Circumstances, pain, sorrow, it leads you down a path. And I can tell you where the end is. Jesus. And even if you don't believe it this side of heaven, one day, as we read last week, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess everywhere. There's no place that will declare that Jesus is not Lord. Everyone, everywhere will find their place at the feet of Jesus. That's why it's so centralistic to what we do today in the church. We must find Jesus first. He must win in everything that we do. And it's difficult. It is difficult. I wish I could tell you that the pursuit of Jesus doesn't come with an enemy, but it does. And listen, that enemy is going to destroy your fellowship. I can promise you. I can promise you. You know how I know? First-hand experience. He's going to do everything he can in your life to ruin your fellowship with brothers and sisters, with the world, as Christians, with the church as a whole. He's going to ruin it. You know why? Because he loves to do it. He's going to find a way. I can promise you. And I can promise you what its stem is. Its stem is this thought of religiosity. That there's this craving of support, of you know, being a super thought or idea. And instead Jesus goes, how much greater do you need than me? How much deeper must you find than me? I was upstairs this morning walking through our student suite. They didn't know it. You know, I go around and I high-five them. Hey, guys. Hey, see some of y'all. And I, as I'm walking through, I'm praying for them. High-fiving them, saying what's up, watching them play ping-pong before church starts. And I started wondering, what do they see in us that makes them want to come to church? What do they see in us that makes them want to worship? What do they see in us that makes them want to give? What do they see in us that makes them want to serve? And reminded of this, that's our job. Our job is to train up the next generation. It's our job. We, we come into this room and it's not just an empty pursuit. You must worship deeply. You must live richly. You must serve just as deep as you can because the next generation will do more. Somebody told me the other day, man, aren't you so tired of seeing on the news this next generation walking down streets with signs demanding things? And I said, somebody taught them. Somebody trained them to do that. What will they see in us? Because they'll do better. If they see it. 
They will take our faith and run with it. And they will reach the next generation deeply if we will train them. I have a heart's prayer for y'all with me. Every Wednesday night, we have, would you say a dozen adults that come help with student ministries? A dozen or so. Probably have about 50 plus students on Wednesday nights right now. What would it look like if our church took student ministry like we used to Awanas? If we saw the next generation as that valuable, that we would give of our Wednesday nights and our Sunday mornings for them? What if instead of populating our life groups and our Wednesday night studies, we went after them? And we showed up and we cared for them like they mattered. Because y'all do. Y'all really do. Y'all matter to us. What y'all do with your time on our planet and for the sake of the gospel matters. And we want to train y'all. So, the next is this. The Jesus when he begins to encounter us, not only puts us in a place that we could not get on our own. It says this in the passage. He, he moves us from ordinary. He moves us from outsiders. In verse 19, it says, so then you are no longer foreigners or strangers. You're not an outsider anymore. You're not put out. You're, you're not separated. You don't have to try as deep because he's given you everything. He declares you a fellow citizen with the saints and a member of God's household. He moves you from an outsider to a child. He moves you from an ordinary into sainthood. He moves you not so that you can applaud yourself, but that we would capture that he is that good. And so in light of him, we have sainthood. You imagine there's this moment in Scripture where people are encountered by God or an angel, and they're just mesmerized, blown away. Moses glows. And, and we got to wonder, do they know that we've been in his presence? Do they capture for a moment that we've been around him in any amount of time? Do they capture it? The other day we were driving to Groover for a basketball tournament. And as we're driving, there's a smell that came about that April and I knew well growing up. It's the smell of the oil field. Any of y'all that haven't encountered the oil field smell, it's its own smell. To my kids, it's repulsive. They're like, oh, oh my goodness. To April and I, it's home. The smell of oil being pumped is what we remember. It, it takes us back. And those that are around the Lord, we become the aroma of Christ. Does the world smell Jesus today? Is it seeing it in us so deeply that they have to be inquisitive to it? Because Jesus puts his people in the right condition to produce his holiness. Because you can't do it on your own. In fact, even our best is like filthy rags. 
But Jesus put you in a place that you can produce his kind of holiness. And you start to in Christ. I've always found it really interesting that people go, but I want to do more. I want to be more. I always think that's a great thought to put into prayer. God, I I want to experience you more. Here's what I've discovered. It's this next thought. You're also being built for the perfected spirits indwelling. Once you come to know Christ, he gives you all of his nature. The next part is expanding you out. Have you ever seen them set up a bounce house? It comes all rolled into this ball. And then they put on the air to it. And it rolls itself out. And then it begins to unroll. And then it begins to air itself up. But you know what it never stops doing to stay that way? Being filled. It never stops because as soon as a kid jumps on it, air goes out and air comes in. It stays inflated. That is exactly what the Holy Spirit does to the life of a Christian. When you're pressured, he fills you. But he never has to leave you. He wants to indwell you. He wants to fill you richly. And I think in some of us are living a spiritual life where half of us is completely put up and the Lord's going I want to I want to feel that part of you I've given you everything but you're not giving me all of you I think there's this real cause that happens when God's people began to live out Jesus and Jesus' work in our lives prompts us towards a few things so I want to end with this I believe that when Jesus begins his work in us It will prompt us to do the following three things. Number one, a deeper connection to himself, his word, and to others. That's what happens. Scripture tells it time and time again, the more we spend time with Jesus, the more deeper our connection grows to him and his word and to others around us. We will begin to have a heart and a insatiable diet to be around the very nature of Jesus and to reach people for him. How many lost people do we really know? How many lost people do we really know? If today we'd say, I don't really know that many lost people, or maybe you just don't know the answer to that. You know a lot of people, you just don't know if any of them don't have a relationship with Jesus. That's our job. We're given this great desire to get to do what only Jesus can call us to do. Jesus is calling us to reach out to people for his name's sake. The next, real spiritual growth that changes us. When we start to let Jesus do his work, we're gonna grow. That's what happens. And let me tell you what the world's gonna do to you. It's gonna chop away at you. April and I's last house, we had these vines that grew next to our house. It was right between the brick and a little concrete runner that went around our house had these vines. The last owner had planted them there and they grew along the house. The problem is they grew up underneath the eaves and we had to cut them down. And so we cut them all the way down and got to the concrete and then I poured killer down that that wall. Any of y'all ever dealt with vines? It worked good for like a day. And then it grew again. Cut them away again. It grew again. 
the world can try its best to take a Christian down. But in Christ, no longer can they cut you to the core because you will continue to grow. You see, the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy, but there's some things he can't. And that is the very nature of Jesus. And when he is in you, he cannot make you move. He can end our flesh. He can make you sad. He can hurt you emotionally. But spiritually, those in Christ who have the indwelling of the Spirit, which he gives to you for your good and your connection to God, all he can do is end your life here, but he can't do nothing to you there. One day there will be an awakening for our enemy, the devil. All of his hard labor this side of heaven. All of his hard work. How many times he's tried to take us down, ruin our testimonies, break our churches. On that side of heaven, his work will be vanquished forever. Because at the name of Jesus, even his knee will bow. I'm so grateful and thankful to Jesus. The last is this. He wants to give you a heart to change the path of the lost and demonstrate Jesus' heart. When you spend time with Jesus, you will begin to do what he did. Listen, we should not spend our lifetime trying to unravel what Jesus spent his whole life trying to do, and that is reach the lost. So, now tag, we're it. We are his church. We are his bride. And so because of that, we are left with a gospel pressure to share Jesus in every season, at all times, with all excitement. Can you share Jesus? Yes. Should you share Jesus? Yes. Is today your day? Yes. So it's time to quit waiting. And it's time to start knowing today, if you don't know someone who does not know Jesus, it is time to get to work. We must find the lost because they matter to God and they matter to us. And we're trying to create a community that they can come home to and be around Jesus, his word, and his people. They can grow in a faith in him and they can go out and change the world with us. That's what we're trying to build and that's what you can help us build today. Today, let me just start by saying this. If you've never had that encounter with Jesus, if you don't know him as Savior and Lord, if you've never had that moment where you've admitted that you have sin and sin keeps you from the glory of God, it also does this. Sin ultimately has a price tag as well, and it's death. That death leads us to a place called hell. It's a place that God created for those that would never accept Jesus, and it's just. It's a value point. We all put into an amount in at least one bank in our life, eternal life or hell. And sin keeps depositing. But God didn't leave us that way. He sent Jesus, and he loved the world so much that he gave them an opportunity to empty that account and deposit into a new one, the highest value point on planet Earth the life of Jesus Christ. And you know what? He makes a trade with you. All of your sin, 
all of your brokenness for his forgiveness and love. The problem is this. At some point in your life, you have to make a determination that sin is not good enough anymore. That sin is not what you want to have as a part of your life anymore. And you have to take up Jesus. We call it repentance. It's a funny word. It means to stop and turn. To go the opposite direction of where you were. It means this. Tomorrow, you wake up. If you come to know Christ today with a brand new outlook. Because now you've been bought with a price, Scripture says. The very life of Jesus Christ. And today you'd say, you know, Kyle, I know I've sinned, and the Bible says all have sinned, all of us in this room, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, his plan for you and for me. We all have sinned. So if you're in the room today and say, okay, I have sinned, I acknowledge that. And that that sin would lead me to a place separated from God. And I need forgiveness for it, and I want to repent, remember, to turn around and go the other way from where I was and follow after Jesus. If that's you today, and you say, you know what? I've heard about Jesus, and I've gone through it, but I've never taken that step, Kyle. I've never, ever said, I want to be cleansed and renewed, and I want to follow after God because I want to connect with him, his word, and with people that would challenge me. I want to grow in a faith, and I want to change the world. 